one of the uh, good things about reading uh, missionary literature is that it reminds us that God is at work in building his church in so many different places. Uh, the other week, uh, those of us who went through to Darlington and uh, heard a report from the Slavic Gospel Association about the work in uh, the southern Ukraine uh, amongst many peoples there, and we were quite amazed to see what the Lord was doing in that place. I was sharing on Thursday evening uh, that Trish has had an extraordinary numbers of letters in response to ultimate questions from Ethiopia. I don't know what's happening in Ethiopia. We've never had them before, but there are obviously books that are now being distributed and people are responding. I've mentioned on other occasions about the African pastors' conferences, uh, which are primarily for black pastors uh, in countries like South Africa, Botswana, uh, Zimbabwe. 32 such conferences are being organised uh, this year and anything from 50 to 200 pastors attending. Great things are happening in different parts of the world. But we find ourselves quite often in a struggle, don't we? It seems so often a day of small things. Uh, again, I was speaking the other day that um, amongst the local ministers fraternal, uh, when they were sharing recently, uh, it was noted that there had been very few, if any, people from outside the church being converted. There were conversions amongst the church families. And for that, we rejoice and praise God. But very few had seen people from outside. We make contacts, we speak to people, uh, but we find we're in a day of difficulty. Yet the promise that we read here in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, when Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The fact that Christ is building his church is something which should bring us hope and encouragement. Christ is building his universal church throughout the whole world. Men and women are being converted, are being added to the church, being baptised in numbers that we just do not know and we cannot reckon on. And the universal church of Jesus Christ is to be seen distinctively in the local churches serving different locations across the world. Whilst we believe in the universal church of Christ, that manifests itself in a local community of believers such as we are here. Our local church is to be seen as part of the church that Jesus Christ is building. This local church is our spiritual home. It's here we meet with our Christian brothers and sisters. It's here that we're fed on God's word. It's here we come under the sound of the preaching of the truth of God. It's here we find support and encouragement, one with another. Christians are not to be isolated from their local church and they're specifically called to. For the church is not a matter of bricks and mortar. It's not a matter of a building. The church, as we well know, is made up of men and women and boys and girls for whom the Saviour gave his life. This local church here in Acliffe is where we find ourselves. It is here that God has placed us. 
And it's to remember also that we come here on an equal footing. We need to remember this. There's no one here that's superior to anyone else. And there's no one who's inferior to anyone else. In Christ, we are united. In Christ, we are the same. There's no hierarchy. We are all sinners saved by grace. Yes, of course, God in his mercy has given gifts to the church. And that's why there are those who function as pastors, as elders, uh, as deacons, those within the church community who have particular gifts. But that's not a matter of superiority or inferiority, only an acknowledgement that is the Lord God of heaven who gives gifts to his church. Well, I want to look at this morning uh, for a short while at this church of Christ. My first point is this, Christ's church is glorious. Christ's church is glorious. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is actually made up of two parts. There are those who've completed their journey, those who've completed their time on earth, and they are now with the Lord. For them, the battle is over. They are now, they've now entered into their eternal rest. They've now received the promise of being with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. But there's another part of the church, And that's the part that we're in at the moment. It's those who now live. Those who struggle in the midst of hardships and difficulties. Those who live in this world know of the heartaches and the turmoil as we seek to live out our lives in a nation which is often now hostile to Christianity. But yet this church of Christ is glorious because both parts of the church are equally secure. Those who are truly of Christ in this world are as secure as those who've gone on to find their rest in Christ. But for us, we've not entered yet into that perfect rest that is promised to all believers. Christ's church is glorious and it is a church rescued from sin. A church rescued from sin. Uh, The church is a spiritual building. It's made up of individual Christians. Uh, In that passage I read from 1 Peter 2, Peter calls them living stones being built into a spiritual house. Uh, Every Sunday we walk past the new building work going at the back here, seeing these uh, buildings being erected. And it's quite interesting, they're all going up at the same time. And uh, every week we come past, the growth seems small, but it's there few more rows of bricks as each brick is being put in and each house is being built. Each stone coming, each brick come from the manufacturers and being put and into the design of those houses. And Peter calls us, if we're in Christ this morning, living stones being built into a spiritual house. Each stone hewn from the same quarry. That is the the quarry of humanity. Each one is a sinner. Each one of us has been captivated by our own ways and our own sinfulness, our own ideas, until God reached down and touched our hearts. And he plucked us out of where we were, where we had broken God's law, 
We deserved only his wrath and condemnation, yet he dealt with us in mercy and love and grace. And so God gathered a people like you and I out of the world so that if we are Christians here this morning, it is that Christ has rescued us from sin so that he could build his church. And we have been put into the church of Christ. This is the church not only that's been rescued from sin, it's the church purchased by grace. It was the grace of God that reached down and made us living stones. This unspeakable, matchless grace of God that sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross at Calvary. This grace meant that Christ received in his person the penalty that should rightly come to us. In other words, he shed his blood for us. As Paul writes, he says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself for us, for it. So we, so undeserving, but through that grace we might know the forgiveness of God, justified by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. So Christ has purchased a people to build his church. And it is a church with a purpose. A church with a purpose. The church belongs to Christ. And as already we've said, he placed every individual living stone into his spiritual house. Now we should take encouragement from that. It means that if you're a believer here this morning, not one of us, is surplus to requirements. Not one of us should be sitting on the sidelines. God has put us here, and he's put us here for a purpose. He's rescued and purchased us, and that is for a purpose. Let's go back to that passage I read a few moments ago uh, from uh, 1 Peter, chapter 2, where Peter writes in verse 9, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's the definition of those who make up this church. In other words, it's the definition of true Christians. Chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So why are we those people? Well, Paul tells us here that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the purpose for which this church exists. That is the purpose for which we have been saved. That is the purpose that we come together so that we might declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. In other words, the purpose for which Christ has placed us in his church, is that we might worship him and glorify his name. That has some implications. For example, our prime purpose as a gathering of God's people is not to evangelise. That's not our prime purpose. But yet, It is one of the ways that we declare the praises of God. We are to go into all the world and make disciples. We are to go and share the gospel with everyone. 
But that purpose is so that glory might be brought to our Lord Jesus Christ. Our prime purpose is not just to have fellowship together, although that's very, very important because that's one of the ways that we declare the praises of God to one another. When we have our cup of coffee or our cup of tea after the service, as I hope we do on times, to share our thoughts about the message and how it might have affected us or not, about how God has been dealing with us, about the wonders of Christ. All of those things encourage us to declare and glorify our God. Our prime purpose is not even to lead holy lives, though that's desperately essential, because that's how we declare the purposes of God to a fallen world. It's not just our words, is it? It's not just that we hand out leaflets or we get folks to sign a petition or we can stand up and preach to them in the open air or we knock on their doors. All those things are very valid and important. But our lives speak of the glory of God. We exhibit the love of Christ in our hearts. So Christ is building his church and he's doing so to bring glory to his name. So then, first of all, We've seen that the church of Christ is glorious. Secondly, Christ's church is under attack. Christ's church is under attack. Now we are to rejoice and glory in the church. But it's evidently clear that not everyone rejoices in the church. Not everyone loves the church. There's a sombre truth here. the, The church is under attack. Uh, We know from those around us, from those we have contact, uh, that the church is seen as irrelevant, outdated, as something that has no or little consequence today. Um, Some of the faults of that, of course, lie with ourselves, but that's very much the tenure of the day, isn't it? But really, we need to see that the church is under attack, and primarily that attack comes from Satan. Satan hates the church. Why does he hate the church? He hates the church because it's made up of people he has lost. We were his. He had us in our clasps, in his hands. But God came and he wrenched us out of the grasp of Satan and put us in Christ, for which we praise him and sing hallelujah. And Satan is not happy with that. And therefore he will do everything he can to undermine the people of God. Each member of the church has been snatched away from the clutches of the evil one and he is incensed over it and does all that he can to discredit the church of Christ. He desires to bring its downfall and its ruin. And We need to be reminded of such things. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 12, for our struggle It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan hates the church because the church is that which shows the glory of the redemption that it has in Christ. The church brings glory to Christ, not to Satan. 
and in so doing shows up the futility and the folly of living outside of Christ. As Jesus says, the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome the church of Christ. But they will certainly feel its attack. The concept is of, of Satan sending out every device and strategy imaginable to, church, to destroy the church, to bring it down, to make it ineffective. We might ask, how does he do that? Well, there are various ways. Let me just pick up on uh, three ways. Firstly, the danger of false doctrine. Undoubtedly, one of the most pernicious dangers facing the true church of Christ today is false doctrine that is thrown at the people of God. And it comes from every quarter, and not least from the church itself. Uh, again, uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, but they were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. We might sort of cast a almost a weary sigh when we hear about the problems uh, of false teaching. But it continues to be a very, very real issue. If you look at so many of the churches, even those that call themselves Christian today, you'll find they're riddled with teaching that does not come from the scripture or is opposed to the scriptures. Such teaching cast out on the promises of God cast out on the nature of Christ, on the certainty of God's word, on the nature of man. You know, we're not that bad, are we, really? We're not full of sin. We're not depraved in every sense, every part of us covered with sin. No, we're pretty good. There are a few like that, but we're pretty good. And therefore, we just need a few little tinkers at the edges, isn't it, in terms of attending a, a church, having some ritual uh, placed over us. False teaching brings doubt over the certainty of salvation through Christ alone. Perhaps that's been the, the one doctrine which has been challenged more than anything, that salvation through Christ alone, always wanting to add a bit, adding something to, that, to what Christ has done. And these false doctrines are destroying the church. Oh, you may go to some and you may find that they seem a very happy community, lots of uh, noise going on, uh, lots of uh, music, and I'm not saying anything against the music and that, but all the stuff that goes on with it. But we must look at what the teaching is. Is it in line with the scriptures? Sadly, we see how many churches that once ran well have now turned from the faith. See how many churches that distorted the truth and end up as cults. Where do these false doctrines come from? Well, there's only one place. 
And that's right from the gates of hell, from Satan himself. But there's another way, and that's the danger of hypocrisy. The danger of hypocrisy. It's another destructive force and danger for the church. When Christians live lives that they are not, that are not what they profess to be, the world laughs. The world sees through it. Now, I know we have a challenge today that there are many groups uh, that call themselves Christians, which we know are not according to God's word. But unless our lives speak the truth of Scripture, unless our lives tell us that we are serious about the word of God. We were reading uh, this morning uh, in our own uh, devotions at home from 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And there was a passage there about, how do I get the names right? There were so many names. I think it was Azahiah. And the thing was that he was not whole in his heart towards God. What it meant was he wasn't wholehearted. He was lukewarm. He started off well, but he wasn't fully committed to God. And whilst when he started his, his reign uh, as king, he did so a lot of good things. But as time went on, he allowed false truth and false doctrines and false gods to come in. And in the end, he went right away from the word of God. If we are not wholehearted for the things of Christ, we see the message will be ridiculed. We see this in the public media's view of the church. We see how the church compromises on so many areas uh, that the clergy and the professed members of the church are seen as hypocrites. What's the biggest problem we face today? It's so often from those within the church rather than those outside. And no doubt mention it this evening as we come to pray particularly for these issues of redefining marriage, that we have a bishop now, the Bishop of Salisbury, coming out in favour. And it says those who don't accept that view that there can be gay marriage are like those who had views supporting slavery and apartheid. And the world is not fooled. The world knows where the church should be. So where does hypocrisy come from? Well, it's a plot hatched in hell, bent on destroying the church of Christ. We must not just, of course, look at the hypocrisy of others, but do the lives we live testify to the faith we declare? The third area here is the danger of dissension. Apathy, selfishness, resentment, a critical attitude, a harsh spirit, all hinders rather than helps the Church of Christ. It divides her attention, diverts her purpose, slows her down, saps her energy. How many churches have we seen that have split over quite small, minor things? They're never over big doctrinal matters, invariably over personal issues. And I mean, sadly, we've seen those of whom we would seek to have fellowship with that have split in recent years. Division. 
being more concerned with my view, my rights, my ideas. I want my thoughts to rule rather than the word of God. And all such divisions, I would suggest, come from the very gates of hell. There is Satan seeking to divide and to conquer. Every time we come together for worship, every time we pick up our Bibles, every time we bow in prayer, the battle rages. Sounds all very gloomy, doesn't it? Sounds all very despondent. Let's come to the third point. Christ church is secure. Christ church is secure. Some things may seem so overwhelming at times. There are occasions when Satan seems or appears to have won a battle. Sometimes it seems that the church itself is about to go under. But the final outcome is not in doubt. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. It reminds us that Christ is the strong foundation. The promise tells us that Jesus Christ himself is the unmovable foundation of the church. We have no need to worry about its future. We may be concerned that a little local church may suffer and stumble. But as far as the church of Christ, we need no doubt and worry about the future. It is assured, it is secure. But Jesus says this, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Well, there's been lots of confusion over that verse. Uh, Some groups take that as being justifying a pope. Let's ask the question, is it Simon Peter who is, on, who is the rock on which the church is built? Well, heaven help us if it is. For he is a man such as we are. A church built on a mere man. But thank God that our, our foundation is far more secure, far stronger than any mere man. Peter had just given this glorious confession, hasn't he, in Matthew 16, verse 15. But what about you, said Jesus? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the the Lord here uses a play on words because Peter, the name Peter, literally means little rock. And what literally Jesus is saying here, You are Peter, the little rock but I'm going to build my church on the rock that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. So that's our foundation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus Christ, immovable. Nothing can shake that foundation. There on the cross, Christ not only dealt with our sin, he showed defeat to Satan. And his day will come when he will be bound forever. For we see that not only is Christ the strong foundation, we see that Christ is the builder of his church. God in the flesh. God unlimited in power. God omnipotent came in the flesh and gave his life on the cross. There on that cross as Christ breathed out his last, no doubt, for a moment, there was great rejoicing in the gates of hell. Satan declaring, I've won. 
The Son of God is dead. But Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is such, not only a comforting doctrine, it's the very heart of the guarantee of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. No other prophet, no other one has ever been raised from the dead and continues to live. Christ rose from the dead showing his supreme authority over death, hell and the grave. And it's this risen Lord who's building his church. In spite of the false doctrines, in spite of the hypocrisy, in spite of apathetic and divisive Christians, in spite of the very gates of hell, Jesus Christ is and will continue to build his church until he returns. And there are no conditions attached to that promise. Jesus Christ will build his church, come what may. We may struggle here, we may think we're small, but we're part of a great universal of church of Christ which is growing. What are we told about that church? It will have those, so many in it that no one can number them. More than the stars in the sky, more than the number of grains of sand on the seashore. Christ will build his church. So that brings us to our last point this morning. Number four, a promise that demands a response. A promise that demands a response. If Jesus Christ is building his church, then that leaves us with several questions. If the church of Christ is ultimately going to triumph and will have all the victory, then the very first question we must ask ourselves are, are we part of the church of Christ? Are we a member of that church of Christ? Not asking, are you a member of Acliffe Evangelical Church? Or are you a member of another particular local church? Not even if you attend there regularly. Not if you go to the church meetings and you come to the communion and all the rest. That's not the question. It's do you know the good news of Jesus Christ in your heart? Has it changed you? Has it moved you? Has it stirred you? Has it brought within you a desire to worship and to glorify his name? To meet with his people in fellowship? To share his word with others? Even this morning, maybe you've sat under this ministry for a long time, but even this morning, you can flee to Christ. We're called to repent of our sins and trust him as Lord and Saviour and commit ourselves to live for him. And the great promise is this, if we do, if we have done that, we will be included in this glorious church of Christ where the triumph and the victory is guaranteed. Let me ask another question. Do you love the church of Christ? Do you love the church of Christ? If you're a believer this morning, if you're truly of Christ, do you love the church for whom Christ gave his life? Or is it you just see it as perhaps little more than a nice social club? I don't mean to be demeaning in that way to anyone. 
But sometimes there are those who attend church because, well, usually they're nice people that go there. And they're quite nice and they talk to me. And they're kind. And if I've got a problem, they help me. Is that the reason that we come? Because there are a few nice people just there? Do we love the church of Christ because we see it as that for which Christ gave his life? If we start to see it as just a convenient community, as something we quite like to belong to, quite like to associate with, rather than seeing it cost the very life of the Saviour. If we started thinking about that, then I would suggest that some of Satan's darts from the very gates of hell are starting to have an effect. We're called to love the Church of Christ with all our heart, with all our being. I know there are imperfections. I know there are weaknesses. Remember at the... uh, end of uh, John's Gospel. Uh, Jesus has breakfast on the beach with Peter. And uh, the Lord Jesus challenges Peter and he asks him three times, do you love me? And in response to every that, he says, well, if you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, take care of my sheep. If you love me, then Lord, feed my sheep. In other words, if you think of taking care and feeding and sheep and lambs, that's the whole of the flock in all of their needs. In other words, for us to love the Church of Christ means we are intimately involved with that work of the local Church of Christ. We desire to help those within, to pray with those within, to pray for everyone within that local church, to help that church grow, help that church to reach out. Sheep can be a bit awkward, can't they, at times? Sometimes they bite and butt you and all the rest. But that wasn't the question that Jesus said to Peter. He said, go and feed and take care. And that's what we are called to do. For here is where the gospel is loved and proclaimed. It is here where God is worshipped. It is here where his word is preached. It is here where we corporately declare the praises of God. And my last question. I've said, are you a member of the Church of Christ? I said, do you love the Church of Christ? Really just an extension of that is, do you live for the Church of Christ? Does the Church figure in the giving of your time? How often Are you in meeting with the Church of Christ? Now, I know the amount of time you spend is not a measure of our spirituality uh, or or whatever. But is it really that we only come and spend an hour and a half, two hours a week with the people of God? Do we see them other times? Do we come together at other services, other meetings, times of prayer? Does the work of this local church figure in how you spend your time? In other words, are we on the verge of hypocrisy? We just really come on a Sunday? We need to challenge ourselves on these things. What about our income? Our giving to the work of the gospel? Not just 
We're arguing just for all giving to be given through this local church, but given uh, to the work of the gospel. There are great needs. Are our prayers for the people of God, for this church? It's very good uh, if you can have a, a list of those who are members and who attend. Um, if you're like me, my memory's getting worse as I get older, as Trish keeps telling me, not remembering uh, things, certainly short-time memory. So if it's not written down, it doesn't get done. I don't think about it. My biggest problem is to remember to look at what I've written down. But it's, you know, in terms of, so that we remember one another and can pray for one another. Do we seek to bring glory to the church of Christ for Christ's sake? Do we seek to live lives that bring honour to God through his church? You know, God in his wonder, in his mercy and grace, has put us in a local church. And he is building this local church. And we really pray that this church will grow not only by those coming in, but we will grow in our understanding, in our commitment, in our development, in our maturity, so that we might be the people God wants us to be. That we might be those who truly worship and bring honour to God because of what Christ has done for his people. May the Lord help us in this and may his church grow and bring glory to God in the days ahead. For Christ's sake. Amen.